Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. His glory. And so here it is, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1. So this is a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, a Shigion note, uh, scream. Oh, there it is. Oh, boy. No, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. No. Oh, man. All right. <laughs> that's, that's the soundtrack for Habakkuk chapter 3. Lord, I have heard of your fame, he says. I stand in awe. There you go. I stand in awe. Ah, my mouth is wide open. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. That's what he's praying for, a revival of mercy. Go on to verse 3. He says, God came from Taman. So this is the beginning of, of what I think the beginning of the song. God came from Taman. He's actually talking about a storm, but he just tells us who the storm represents. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Both of those places are south and sort of southwest of Israel. So this is a desert storm. His glory covered the heavens. So that's the weight. The word glory means weight. So the weight, you know, heavy clouds, when they begin cl- filling up the sky. So the heaviness of his glory he, he is, is, symbol- is symbolized by the, the, the dark clouds that are covering all of the heavens. His glory is covering the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. We talked about this, that last week, how praise is like the rain. So his glory is this weight that's over over all of the heavens, but then when it gets heavy enough, when there's enough glory concentrated in a particular place, and there's a, it's it's weighty enough, it, it can't it can't hold it, and so and so it begins to release some of that glory, and that's what that's what praise is. Praise is with, as God is releasing His glory; it's the sound filling the entire earth. And the beautiful thing about praise is it's not just something that we send up; it's something that that comes down and waters us. It's something that nourishes us. It's something that 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 brings a river into a desert. And so, anyway, he's hearing the sound of the rain throughout, echoing throughout the mountains and the valleys. And he says, this is our praise. But there's something else very interesting about his praise. He says, his splendor was like the sunrise and rays, that would be lightning, flashed from his hand. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Now, in, in Habakkuk's day, he didn't know what caused lightning. But this is written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who did know what caused lightning. Because lightning now, we believe, is caused by the actual rain. That as the rain droplets are forming and falling from the the weighty clouds, or in terms of the symbolism, as praise, as praise is coming out of God's glory, that that, that all of that water releases a certain... Uh, energy, a certain amount of electrical charge, so that the amount of praise in the atmosphere determines the amount of potential for power in the atmosphere, so that his power is hidden in the praise of his people. That as his people praise, it starts setting off sparks of his power. And that's what happens in the natural, that's what happens in the spiritual. And so he says his power is hidden there, but it, but it comes about in the midst of praise. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. In other words, he came, he came in and blew out everything that was there. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. We talked about how he's shaking some things. God's shaking some things. And so if you want to hear that sermon, go on and listen to next week. But let's go to verse 7 right now. He marches on forever, and in verse 7, he's now going to describe a, a new uh, phenomenon, a, a, a new part of, of uh, the passage. There we go. Lovely. Verse 7, I saw the tents of Kushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Why are the tents in distress? What's he talking about there? He's talking about the wind. So he says, now he's going to, now he's going to move into a discussion about the wind of God. 
that it is, it's causing the tents of Kushan <clears throat> and the dwellings of Midian. Those are all enemies of Israel. These are uh, uh, places that are attacking Israel. These are places that are against Israel. And he said, I saw the tents of Kushan in distress and the dwellings of Midian were in anguish. So the wind is beating against these tents. They're flapping in the breeze. And then verse 8 says, were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. Now, we're just going to stay on this passage for just a minute. Actually, for the entire sermon, this is it. This is where we're landing. Uh, and because I want to look at two factors that he's talking about here. First off, he's talking about the wind of God. Right? And, and, and he says, I saw the tents of Midian. I saw our enemies in distress. Were you angry with the rivers? Was your wrath against the streams? What's he talking about there? He means that the wind is, is, is pounding on the rivers and on the streams. It's, it's, it's ravaging the, 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 the streams and the rivers. Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? Now, this is something new. Habakkuk, uh, in a literary sense, Habakkuk is layering the metaphors. So his first metaphor is that God is a storm. And, he's, and, he's, and he's, he's, he's writing from that perspective. He talks about his glory filling the heavens. He talks about the, this praise falling from the sky. He talks about his look shaking the earth. He talks about his power going forth. He's, he, he's entirely enveloped in this storm analogy. But now he layers on top of the storm analogy, this analogy here, chariots and horses. And then he talks about a bow, uncovering a bow. What's he doing? He's, he's now, he's sticking with the original analogy, which is a storm, but he's adding a layer to that. And this is now a warrior. This is now an army. So it's really, really fascinating how the Holy Spirit, this guy had no formal education. He, he never went to Harvard. Uh, and yet the Holy Spirit inspires him to not only have one analogy that deeply reflects who God is, but now he layers a second analogy on top of that one to bring out another truth about God. And it is that God is not only a storm, but God is also a warrior. God is also a fighter. God is also a, and he's, he's a militant army. God is also a conqueror. God is also a, a victorious warrior with a sword in his hand and blood all over his outfit. God's, a, God's also a gladiator. God's also mighty. God's also a fighter. God's also, you know, Rocky Balboa. You ain't so bad. You ain't so bad. You ain't so bad. My mother hits harder than you. You ain't so bad. I was showing Micah that, 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 that clip this week. I was like, that's the best one where he's fighting Clubber Lang and he just comes back and, he, and it's awesome. But, but, this, is, but this, this is not the way that we generally think about God. Number one, we don't think of him as a storm. We think of him as a shelter in time of storm. But then we also don't think of him as a rough and sort of aggressive, sort of angry, raging, driving his chariots to victory, crushing, defeating enemies, kind of God. We think of him, you know, like, like he's, he's baby Jesus, you know, dear baby Jesus. I just want to pray. I like to pray to baby Jesus. So there's, there's like two movies already. We're already referencing. I don't know, but this is the way that we, gen we generally like to think about God because it's more comfortable for us because it's more convenient for us. And Habakkuk, I think he probably had a view of God like this. He was the songwriter for the tabernacle before he finally said, God, you know, I love all these soft songs about how lovely and sweet you are and kind and gentle and patient and all that kind of stuff. But the truth is we have all this bad stuff happening all around me and you're not doing anything about it. And nothing in his previous worship experience equipped him for a God who was going to, you know, bust some heads and was going to crush some enemies and was going to entirely annihilate things which, which he thought were strong, steady, and secure. And yet this God was a storm and this God is an army. This God marches on. This God is, is militant. This God is, is full of, of wrath. This God is full of, of, of power. This God is full of might. And I'm not telling you that to scare you. I'm telling you that to encourage you that your God is not just sheepish. He's not just a shepherd. 
But like a shepherd, I guess, he also has a stick that he takes out and starts beating wolves with if he needs to. He will come against his enemies. He will, he, he will, see, one of the reasons I think why we feel like we have to take vengeance for ourselves is because we do not have a God in our mind who is capable of taking vengeance for himself. One of the reasons why we think people like Epstein got away with it is because we do not understand a God who is fully capable of taking vengeance for himself. You may escape justice in this life, but you have not escaped justice. You're only rushing to a court that's higher than the Supreme Court. You know, it's not the Supreme Court. It's the, it's the, it's the, the lower court. There's a higher, there is a Supreme Court through, before whom even the Supreme Court justices must stand and give an account for what they did and said in the body. Oh, somebody. And so you, you, you cannot escape it. And so one of the reasons why we feel like we have to maneuver and adjust and, and, and try to make things right on this earth is because we do not understand that God is a warrior and he will make things right and he will, he will decide justice and he will bring vengeance and he will be a just God. And so this is what Habakkuk is now realizing. He's like, man, I thought God wasn't doing anything. Actually, God is a warrior and he is taking his chariots. He's taking his horsemen. So the, the idea of, of horsemen and chariot, it's a perfect description for the wind because a chariot and a horseman is the transportation system for the army. And the wind is the transportation system for the storm. So what moves, the storm moves at the speed of the wind. The power, the rain moves at the speed of the wind. The lightning, everything moves at the speed of the wind. And so he says, these are your chariots because this is how you get from point A to point B. And that's true of a storm, but it's also true of God. When God decides to move, it's his spirit or his breath or his wind that comes into play. It's his breath that begins to blow on, on, on a people. When God decides to move, he begins to move with his breath. For instance, in Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was void and without form, and the, the, the spirit or the breath of God was hovering or hurling or swirling or blowing over the face of the deep. When God is getting ready to move, the, the thing, his mode of transportation is wind. And in Acts chapter 2, whenever the people were gathered in the upper room, what, what was the first thing that happened? A mighty rushing wind came blowing through the upper room, and they said, wow, okay, God's here. And then all of a sudden, these other things began to happen. Uh, they began to speak in tongues. There was a flame of fire over all of their heads. The Spirit of God began to move in a place represented by the wind. And so I want to talk to you about a God who is powerful, who is a warrior, but the way that he fights our battles is through his wind, through his breath, through his spirit. It says he sent his word and healed them. He sends his spirit. He's, and that's why in Jeremiah, he said, look, I'll take out from you a heart of, of stone and give you a heart of flesh and put my spirit inside of you. So, so his breath comes against our enemies, like the, like the tents of Kushan and the tents of Midian, the dwellings of Midian. His breath comes against our enemies. I don't know if you ever noticed or not, but in Exodus chapter 14, when the children of Israel are standing at the edge of the Red Sea, and actually, I think we have that passage just, just to, so, you, so you can see it for yourself. I was, this was a part of my, my Bible story uh, last night. I was talking to Micah. Yeah, not that passage. Um, I, was talking, I was talking to Micah, and he was talking about the power of air. And I wasn't even, I was just studying this stuff, and because he's been excited about his little, um, uh, his little uh, BB gun, where he's got those little CO2 cartridges, you know? He's like, man, that's just air, and it sends the BB flying, the power of air. And I said, oh, air is really powerful. I said, it was air that God used to part the Red Sea. And he said, I didn't know that. I thought it just kind of parted. No, it's air. This is what scripture says. Exodus 14 says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. So literally, what parted the Red Sea was not a mysterious, invisible hand. It was the breath of God, the wind of God, pounding, raging against the sea as his chariots are knifing into the sea. The, the wind was powerful. It began to split the sea like this, which means that when the people of God walked through on dry ground, they walked through in the most windy corridor, the most windy corridor of all time. This wind is beating down on their back. It, it was so powerful 
But this is what this is what it means for God to fight for you. you you're standing on the edge of, 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 a, of an impossible thing, whether that's an addiction or whether that's an attitude in your own life or whether that's an economic struggle, whatever, you're standing on the edge of impossibility. God tells you to move forward and you can't move forward. So he sends his wind. He sends his spirit, and his spirit makes a way where there seems to be no way. His spirit begins to divide what you thought was unified and connected. His spirit begins to split apart what you thought was solid. It becomes, it becomes two things instead of one, and there's an avenue, there's a direction. I just pray today that God will open up for you some avenues, some directions, some means of escape from temptation, some means of escape from, from gossip, some means of escape, some other ways. You know what I mean? You don't have to, it's not sink or swim. There's actually a, the third option. You can walk through on dry ground. You're like, I've tried this over and over again. Yeah, because you, you, you've, you've tried swimming across the Red Sea all of your life. It's time to stand and wait for the wind of God, the breath of God. When his spirit starts hovering over your, your obstacle, then things begin to part. Then you start to see new ways of walking through old obstacles. That's the wind of God. I saw the tents of Midian in anguish i saw my enemies shaking when the wind of god moved into a place and there are those enemies out there but but there's also i mean there's also the enemy in here and this is why we need the wind of god the breath of god not just out in front of us to part our red seas but within us this is what made adam a living being he was a pile of dirt before god breathed his breath into him and this is what makes all of us come alive. This is what makes you come alive is when you have the breath of God inside of you, when you have the spirit, until you have the spirit of God inside of you, the Bible says you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Oh, I know you have a heartbeat. I know you, can, but no, you're, you're actually, you're not living. You don't even know who you are trying to find your identity. But until you have the spirit of God inside of you, you literally cannot know who you are because you're not even alive. You're a, a lump of dirt laying on the ground. You, are, you and I are not living without his breath. And so we need the, the spirit of God. And by the way, the breath of God, the spirit of God is not crazy. Sometimes I think we... Th <laughs> all right, so we got to... Poppy, all right, Poppy, come on. Uh, it, sometimes I think we see the breath of God, and it's just from our culture that we just think he, he has to be loud and crazy and, and weird. But he, he, he doesn't, which is why I like the transition that, that, that Habakkuk is taking here. Because if he would have stuck only with the storm definition of God, then yes, we would have an idea that God is basically just bizarre. And he's just this, this blast of power that's like, woohoo! And, you know, <laughs> some of us have been to that church, right? Where it's like, woohoo, woohoo, woo and and then we walk out and we're like woo <laughs> i have this i have this i have this friend of mine on facebook and he's a he's 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 pentecostal like he's he's hardcore pentecostal like he's pentecostal and and i love him and i like i like some of his teaching you know i like listening to him so anyway and i was scrolling through the other day and you know you, you everything's muted until you unmute like a live video you know and and so i'm muted i'm just scrolling through and he's He's sitting at his desk. I've never actually watched him like do a full sermon or anything, but anyway, he's sitting like at his desk and he's 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 animated, his arms are flailing, his face is red, he's a white guy. His face is red and he's he's like yeah, like his vein is popping up. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is going on? Like is he really my he must he must be he must be hooping. He must really really be hooping. Those of you that know what hooping is, you know what that is, but this is not what LeBron James does. It's what it's what it's what preachers do sometimes and so i'm like oh he must really be he must be going at it and so i unmute it and you know what he wasn't he was just he was he was he was giving an announcement no. i'm not even lying i'm not even kidding he was giving an announcement so i thought maybe he was like making fun of like himself no he's being serious totally serious the whole way he just kind of got on i mean he was giving an announcement and i realized that actually that's part of that culture it's just part of that culture. It's like it's like you can't even give announcements without without getting really excited. Because if you're not yelling, then you're not anointed. I mean, I swear, like you go into like a. I mean, I don't know. Like, do they go like after church? Do they go to like like? Uh, yeah, they go take a nap. 
No, they don't. They're at the buffet. I have seen them. I know them. They're at the, they are at Luby's. And I don't know how that works, but it's got to be something like, bless God, I'll have a cheeseburger. Glory to God. Hold the lettuce, Father God. No, Father God, lettuce, Father God. There will be lettuce, no lettuce, Father God, on my burger, Father God. Thank you, Father God, for the lack of lettuce, Father God. I'm just going to bless. I mean, you got to say it 10 times for it to count really loud. And you got to say, Father God, a whole lot of times. Before verbs, after verbs, before nouns, after, in between. You can split up Father, lettuce, God. You can even split that up, but it's got to be in there. And I, was, and I was thinking, man, like, it's no wonder people think we're weird. <laughs> it's no wonder people think we're strange because nobody else communicates like that. You know, like, like nobody, nobody talks like that. Nobody's yelling at announcements usually. You know, it's like, it's like, oh, okay, well, this is a cultural thing. It's a cultural thing. And if that speaks to you, that's fine. That's good. But, but God is not always yelling. God is not always loud. God's not always shouting. God's, God's not, like, God's not going to turn you into an extrovert. Come on. All my extroverts, I know you're not going to say amen, but you can just give me a nod. You can give me, you can say, I feel that. I feel that. I sense that. I, I agree with that. that. That resonates with my soul. God's not going to, because his power, it's not crazy power. It's specific power. And he does do things which are weird sometimes. You know, I mean, the, I talked about the book of Acts, and people were going, wow, are these guys drunk? So he does do things that are weird sometimes, but there's always a specific purpose to it, which is why I like the transition from a storm to a warrior, because a warrior will cause mayhem on purpose. A storm will cause mayhem just because it's present, but a warrior, when he approaches a situation, he's, he has a goal in mind, and that's God's power. It is very intentional. He has a goal in mind. And so he will be weird sometimes, but he has a goal in mind with the weirdness. So if you're just weird, <laughs> just because, just because, well, we're not going to be like the world. We're holding out to the bitter end. Yeah, well, you're just weird for the sake of weird. That's not how God is weird. God is weird on purpose. He wanted, on the day of Pentecost, when people said, are they drunk? He wanted to draw a crowd because when he drew a crowd, then he could preach the gospel. And he didn't say Father God a thousand times when he preached the gospel. He didn't even say it once because he was preaching in a way that people could understand. He, it was, there was a purpose to it. So the, the crazy loud tongues thing and the wind and the flames and all that stuff got the, people's attention. When he got their attention, they didn't continue on the show. He wasn't like, wow, look at us. Look how anointed we are. No, he began to speak their language, and he spoke to them in their language even. Their tongues that they were speaking was directed to the people that were walking around. So God has an intent. He's a warrior because he has a purpose to his power. He's very intentional. And that brings me to my next point. We have the wind of God, but then we also have this thing right here where he says he uncovered, he says you uncovered your bow and called for many arrows. Well, arrows is obviously, I think, talking about lightning. Typically, it's, it's what it is. But the bow, I, I, I was a little confused by that. And I was, I was also confused by the fact that at the end of this passage, you can't see this in the NIV, but at the end of this passage, there's the word selah. We'll get to that in a minute. But just so that you know, selah means to pause. And in a screamo, heavy metal song, it would mean probably do, uh, you know, some kind of dueling guitar solo there needs to be like a like an instrumental pause the, the the author is saying look i just said something really heavy really important really weighty i want them to get a chance to think about it and yet when i read this i was like uh okay so he calls for his bow he gets the arrows all right stop think about that for a minute you know, it, it didn't make much sense to me why there would be a Selah there. There's three Selahs in this song. The first one is after he says God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. So the first one is after this, this, this mind-bending idea that God is a storm, not just a shelter in time of storm. He's also a storm. Okay, so I get that. That makes sense. The last one is also super powerful. He's talking about the salvation of his Holy One. Well, that's deep. We'll get into that. But this time he says he uncovered his bow and he called for many arrows, Selah. 
And I was like, hmm, all right, I'll think on that for a minute. And as I was studying, I then turned to the King James Version because I went to uh, blueletterbible.org and mine automatically defaults in King James. I wanted to look at what the original language was. And this is where I began to see perhaps why there's a Selah here. So we do have the King James Version. Let's go ahead and read from King James for just a minute. Uh, get our these and our thous in for the day. He says, thy bow was made quite naked. King Jimmy liked to be edgy. Uh, thy bow was made quite naked according to the oaths of the tribes, even thy word, Selah. And I said, well, that's very different from he calls for many arrows. And so I began looking at the original language in the Hebrew. And it turns out that actually what it says in the Hebrew is pretty hard to understand. That there's a disagreement. Most scholars are like, yeah, I don't know. We have a general idea, but specifics are a little bit hazy. Really, it's just a couple of words, that whole, that whole last sentence. Now, thy bow was made quite naked. That is definitely there. It says he uncovered his bow. All right, so that means you have a bow, a bow and arrow, and the bow is in storage. He takes it out of storage. So just, just, just to help you guys with a, with a little visual, behind the boxes, I have Micah's bow and, and, and one of Micah's arrows. Don't worry, it's not sharp, and I'm not going to aim it at anybody. But he says, he, says he, un he uncovered his bow. So his bow's in storage, and he uncovered it. Most scholars agree that here Habakkuk is trying to reassure the people of Israel that even though things look difficult, that God will fulfill his promises. He uncovered his bow. In other words, his bow was covered up. It was in storage. Have you, has God, have you ever received a promise from God and then the promise went into storage? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, got, it got taken to the storage unit, put in a box somewhere on the third row in the back. Yeah, that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, because Habakkuk knows, God's revealed to him that they delivered from the enemy, the Babylonians. They're going to be invaded by the Babylonians and they're going to be taken captives. In other words, this, this, this screamo heavy metal song is going to be sung by captives. It's going to be sung by his children and his grandchildren. This is going to be sung by people who are so disappointed in God. It's going to be sung by people who believed God was going to come through, who, who felt like, yes, this time he's going to deliver us. Yes, it's going to work out for us. And instead... God put the cover over his bow and said, yeah, not now. And so he's, he's holding out hope for them is what he's doing. He's saying, look, the bow will not stay covered forever. He's saying God's promises are yes and amen. Even when they're not right now, they are still yes and amen. They are still absolutely sure you can stand on the promises of God. And so the bow, I think, does represent the promises of God. That even though right now, Habakkuk says, right now they seem to be covered. Right now God's not taking action. Right now God's not delivering his people. The truth is, just because the, the promise is covered, but it's not canceled. You know, like it's, it's, it's covered, but it's still there. And Habakkuk says, look, I'm telling you, he's going to, when he's ready, when his time, when the time is right, he's going to uncover the bow, and then he's going to remember. That's, that, that's his idea for remembering his promise. It's not that he ever forgot it, but he put it on a shelf because it wasn't time to be fulfilled yet. So sometimes God will promise us something, and he hasn't forgotten it, but he, it's not time for the promise to be fulfilled yet. And Habakkuk says, even when it's covered up, you need to remember that there will come a time when God uncovers the bow. He remembers his promise. He delivers his people. So I want you in captivity to sing about the God who covers his bow from time to time, but then uncovers his bow and does exactly what he promised that he was going to do. Yeah, so we, as a people, man, I just encourage you to stand on the promises of God. I don't know if the promise has been fulfilled yet. I don't know if you're six months away or 10 years away from the fulfillment, but I can tell you, even if the promise seems to be covered right now, there will come a time when God uncovers the promise and you can stand on you can you can have assurance of the promise of God say so, well what well what promises well one promise is that he forgives all of our sins that's the most basic promise that you can grab a hold of he forgives all of our sins and he heals all of our diseases 
You can stand on those two promises. One, the healing of your inner man, and two, the healing of your outer man. You can stand on that promise. You say, well, well, I don't feel forgiven. The promise seems covered. It's, it, it's not by how you feel. The promise is still there. It's been covered. It hasn't been canceled. So sometimes we have to stand on a promise that's covered. We can't see it, but yet we believe it. We can't see the fulfillment of it, but yet we believe that the one who promised is able. And so we hold on to, we believe in the promise of God, whether it's promise for salvation, that all of our sins would be forgiven, or promise for our healing, that he, he heals all of our sicknesses, all of our diseases. Scripture says that he who began a good work in you, Philippians 1.6, will be faithful to complete it. And as soon as we fall off the horse, we start to doubt the promise of God that he will, he will be faithful to complete it. Didn't say you would be faithful to complete it. Said he will be faithful to complete it. The promise still stands. It's not been canceled yet. It might be covered, but there will come a time when you will see what has been promised to you if you believe. That's why faith is so important. Because it holds on to a promise that God seems like he's let go of. Faith holds on to a promise that it seems like God has let go of. It seems like his bow has been set down. It's been covered. He's moved on. He's not going back to that. And Habakkuk says, no, no, no. It's covered. It hasn't been canceled. He's going to pick it back up. He will deliver his people. He will fulfill his promises. So I want to encourage you to, to hold on to that promise, to, to stand on that promise. We used to sing the old song, standing, standing. Standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. Poppy's even got the harmony. She knows that one. But you can stand on the promises of God. And the promise of God is the bow. But now let's talk about the arrow for just a minute. Because here in the NIV, he says he calls for many arrows. And this, for me, was a beautiful picture of a warrior God who... Just, re just previously, I had read that from his hand were these flashes. So in my mind, in my childish mind, I guess I just thought I saw this like hand and the like lightning shooting out of it. But now Habakkuk is educating me a little bit. He said, no, no, I didn't mean lightning just flies out of his hand. I mean that God holds on to power like an archer holds on to an arrow. It's with intentionality. When he picks it up, he knows exactly what he's going to do with it. When he picks it up, he knows exactly where it's going. When he picks it up, he knows what he's looking for. He's looking for the straightness of it. He's looking for the, the build, the custom of it, the shape of it, because he has a purpose, an intention for it. And so all of his power has intention. And, and, but what's interesting, though, is the NIV says he calls for many arrows. Well, and then the King James says, according to the oaths of the tribes, even his word. Uh, what is going on here? Well, let me break it down quickly for you. First off, what's happening is both are trying to understand these two Hebrew words. There's two Hebrew words here. The one is um, tribes or rods. Uh, the other is to call for, to declare, to make a covenant um, or an oath. And so, and so what happens is I think the NIV said, okay, there's this word for he calls or he declares or he speaks or he promises or he makes a covenant or he makes an oath. And then, it's, then the next word is rods or staffs, plural. Now, I think the NIV guys said, hey, you know what? What kind of stick or rod goes with the bow? Well, that would be an arrow. So he must be calling for arrows, plural. So that's a, that's a logical, it's a decent translation. Uh, the, the King James, though, recognized that, that the word arrow is not there. The word arrow is not in the Hebrew. Rather, it's the word rod which means staff, um, which is frequently translated tribe in the Old Testament because in the Old Testament, the rod or the staff was a symbol for the, the family, right? And so, and so the King James says, well, he's not calling for arrows. He's calling for rods. Rods are usually translated like the tribes of his people, especially when it's in plural. So really, it has more to do with this thing he's declared over his people. He's declared something over his people. He's made promises or oaths with his people and that's who he's calling for. So what's interesting is uh, the NIV focuses more on the analogy of, of, of arrows and lightning 
And the King James focuses more on the interpretation of the analogy, such as the people of God and the promises of God. I think they're both literally saying the same thing in different ways. Because in this passage, we understand that when we talk about the power of God, God holding his power in his hands, that his power is literally his people. That his power is not some existential goosebumps. But that when God wants to move in power in a place, he grabs a hold of his people. And his people are the rods or the arrows. So the, the, the NIV is correct, and I think the King James is also correct, because they're both saying the same thing. We're talking about lightning here, but we're not talking about lightning anymore. We're talking about the power of God. And when we're talking about the power of God, we now have new revelation that the power of God isn't just this existential goosebumps or feeling that we get. Sometimes people say, oh, that's the power of God because so-and-so fell out. Well, no, the power of God is his people. His people are demonstrations of his power. And so sometimes people do fall out, absolutely. And that's a, hey, yep, that's power of God. But sometimes people sit quietly and pray, and that's the power of God. Sometimes people submit their lives over to him and experience his freedom and his healing in their hearts, and that's the power of God. See, the, the, the power of God is, is exemplified in his people. And, and if his people are like the arrow, if the arrow is not straight, it's not going to be a good arrow. So God will spend a lot of time sharpening his people straightening out his people because that's his power that's why that's why it's not just about going to the street and getting a bunch of people to feel something because that's not his power his power is when a bunch of people become something when they are straightened out they were all wonky and crooked and, and unusable before and so all the time he spends sharpening and making his people usable is because he wants to send them into the world. He has a target intended for them. He wants to strike down his enemies with his people. Man, I don't, I don't know. It's getting sort of deep. There's multiple layers there. I don't, I don't know if, you, if, you're, if you're tracking with me. But I, if, you could, if you could see it like I see it, I just, I, I just see the people of God as, a, as, as, as an arrow sitting in God's hand. And God sees the problem in our country. God sees the problem in the world. God sees so many different kinds of problems. Economic problems, racism problems, perceived racism problems, uh, political problems. All of, the, all, of the, all of the problems of our world, he has an answer for, and it's his people. And he's picking up his people and he's shaping his people and sharpening his people and conforming his people so that they can solve the problem. So that he can send his people into the heart of his enemies. So that he can launch his people into the place of darkness. We are peacemakers, not peacekeepers. We go into chaos. We go into darkness and we bring light into darkness. That's what an arrow does. An arrow goes away from where the, where the archer is. So God is in heaven, and he wants to send his people into the darkness of the world, into the brokenness of the world. But it will never work if we are wonky, as Roe would say. We might, he wants to straighten us out. He wants to make us usable. He wants to make us usable before he can use us. But get this, he's made a covenant with us. He's made a promise with us. He has covenanted with his arrows. He will not forsake his arrows. He has made a covenant with his arrows. These are a sign of his promise. This is how he is displayed in the world. This is how he is glorified in the world because he picks up a bunch of broken, messed up, wonky arrows like us and he shapes us and he forms us to his image and he makes us usable. And everybody says, man, that's, that arrow wasn't so great, but the archer sure knows what he's doing. The one who holds the arrow sure gets the glory for that life. I'll tell you what, because I saw that life before he got in the hand of the arrow. It wasn't doing anything productive <laughs> and so the arrow doesn't get the glory nobody looks at the arrow and says my gosh look at that wonderful arrow no they look at the one who formed the arrow the one who held the arrow and the one who launched the arrow and they say that guy knows what he's doing so God gets the glory and so he's he's sharpening us he's shaping us but the next thing that he has to do is he has to align us so so if you're a wait a minute I need to get my hands right to be able to do this so if you're an if you're an arrow and you're simply in the hand of an archer, 
you'll never end up in the heart of his enemy. You know what I mean? So you, you, you might be in his hand, but you will not end up in the heart of his enemy until you come into alignment with the bow. The bow is the promise of God. Remember, the bow is the promises of God. And many of us are affiliated with the promises of God, but we are not aligned with the promises of God. <laughs> you know what I mean? We understand mentally the promises of God, but we have not yet aligned our lives with the promises of God. For instance, he says he forgives all of our sins. And then we say, but I can't forgive myself. Well, you need to get in alignment with the promise of God. Well, but I, I just can't. It's not for everybody. It's for anybody, but it's not for everybody. Only the ones who have the humility to submit to the shape of the bow. Here's the thing. The arrow must come into alignment with the bow. The bow does not come into alignment with the arrow. And so only the ones that have the humility to say that God is right, even though I don't see it and I don't feel it. And I will, I'll, I'll come into alignment. This doesn't feel natural to me. This, doesn't, this isn't like how I've been in the sheath all this time. I've been propped up, and now I'm laying sideways. It doesn't feel right. Something just doesn't, this doesn't, this is, I don't, I don't think this is me. <laughs> it's, it's not you. It's you in a bow. It's you resting on the promises of God. It's you leaning on the promises of God. It's not just you on your own. We've seen what you on your own can do, and it's not great. <laughs> so, I mean, come on, like, it's just, it's just not all, myself included. In my own intelligence and me figuring things out, it's not good. So I have to submit to the promise of God. I have to align myself with his word. If he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it, even when I fall off the horse, even when I feel like I'm not being faithful, I need to align myself with his promise, get back on the horse, get back on the way, start following him again, repent of sin immediately, turn back to him, and believe that he is able, that he's able to deal with my attitude. He's able to deal with my addictions. He's able to deal with stuff I haven't been able to deal with. But that's the thing. The bow can do for the arrow what the arrow cannot do for itself. The bow gives so much power to the arrow. You try throwing an arrow, it doesn't, it doesn't go very far. But you add a bow to this thing, and suddenly there's power connected to this life. There's great power in the bow. Greater power than you've ever experienced for yourself. Even in the hand of the archer, you're not going to experience the power of his promise until you come into alignment with his promise. And as you come into alignment with his promise, there's great power here. But, uh, but I must warn you, there's also great tension. <laughs> there's great tension. I know I was singing, standing on the promises of God. It's probably, that was good for that generation. But for my generation, we kind of feel like standing is sort of passive. You know, standing, waiting hanging out, chilling with the promises of God. I'm chilling, chilling. No, no, that doesn't work. Okay. But no, like that, that, that's, that's the perception. It's like, oh, I'm standing. I'm just resting. And it is resting. But as long as it's only resting, there's still no power attached to it. You gotta, you gotta get some, you gotta get some if the arrow doesn't push against the promise of God, what I would say is we have to not just stand on the promise of God and hope that it's fulfilled, but we have to lean and push into the promise of God. We have to push into it. We, that, what, what does that mean? That means we need to lean our efforts. We need to lean our understanding. We need to lean uh, who we are and who we've been. We have to get away from who we've been and lean into who he says that we are. We have to cross the threshold. That's what happened at the, with, the, with, the, with the Israelites. They go through the entire wilderness. They come up to the promise, and God says, okay, now cross to the other side. Press into the promise because the promise, just brushing up against the promise is not going to give you any power, right? So you're here for 30 minutes on Sunday, and you get, a, you get an inch worth of promise, you know. And it's like, woo, all right, there you go. That's not, that's, that's, that's pathetic. That's what that is. That's, if we're sticking with all the P's, that's pitiful. That's a pitiful, you're, 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 the, the, the distance, like the distance of your life is dependent on how, 
on how much you can press into the promise of God. And so the people of God came up to the promise of God. They brushed up against it, but they would not press on the door of it. They would not lean into it. They would not put much at stake. And that's why I was talking to Romeo this past week, and I was just kind of laughing with him. I said, man, it's funny because, like, just before all of this whole trial thing came about and, and, then, and, then, and then you went to jail and all that, it's like he was talking about how he felt called to the ministry and God was using him. He finally led a small group, him and Jackie. We were a part of that. Roe and I went to every small group with them, and, and he was doing well. And I said, isn't it, isn't it interesting? Like, you start feeling like you're called, like, to the ministry, and then, and then you end up in jail where, like, there's no AC, and he's been sleeping, like, in a, in a shed, basically, with, no, like, with all sorts of na- – it's craziness. And you're going through all this craziness. And I said, well, I, I said, you know, God, often when he calls somebody, he doesn't – you're not ready when he calls you. And so he has to – get you to lean into his promise he has to get you to get some pressure involved there's got to be some tension there's got to be some push and and i and i and i jokingly said i said you know uh you know it's lovely that he sent you to bible college (laughs) and he uh he didn't he didn't understand what i was saying because literally while he's been in there he started taking bible college classes he said well they canceled bible college during covid i haven't been doing bible college and i said no 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 not all bible colleges are the same you don't all get a degree as a piece of paper. Some of our degrees are literally on our back. Some of our degrees are in our spirits. It's the scars on our hands and on our feet. Some of our degrees are a little bit different, but all Bible college, God will send you through Bible college. Trust me, if he's going to use you, he's going to apply pressure. And you're not going to like the pressure. It's going to feel like, man, this is too tight. I enjoyed being in the sheath where I was safe and I was warm and I was comfortable. And yet he's applying more and more pressure because the more pressure he applies, the more power that he's going to use you, the more projection that you're going to be able to go when he gets ready to use you don't be surprised if if he starts applying pressure and the pressure is on the promise the pressure is not on you the pressure is on whether or not you can believe in the dark what you saw in the light the pressure is on whether or not you can stick with it when things don't seem to be working out that's the pressure the pressure is to stay because you want to jump off this thing real quick because it feels like you're about to go flying. The pressure is to stay. The pressure is to hold on to the promise when everything is pulling you away from the promise. And people have told me, when I started following Jesus, I got baptized and suddenly everything started going wrong. No, man, it started going right. God started putting pressure to your life because he wanted to send you further than you'd ever gone before on your own. In the The pain is being able to hold on. The pain is being able to believe God even if it seems as if God was lying. The pain is, 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 okay, I'm, I'm here, I'm ready, I've gone through all this shaping and forming process, it seems like I'm ready to go, and then this, this pull starts happening, and regression starts happening, and it looks like I'm going backward. Really, you're leaning into the promise of God, pushing on the promises of God what, how, 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 how does the verse go? Pushing on the promises, I cannot fall. Listening every moment to the Spirit's call, trusting in my Savior as my all in all. Pushing on the promises of God. I'm, I'm pushing on those promises. I'm leaning on those promises. I'm, it's, it's the weight of my life is pressing against this. I don't have any other plans. I don't have any backups. I don't have another way to live. This is my way. This is my purpose. This is my only shot is to be in the palm of God and, and holding on to his promise. No matter how long he keeps pulling. No matter how long he holds it. No matter how long the tension sits there, and I feel like I'm about to snap in two. No matter how long the pressure builds, no matter how painful the pressure is, no matter how uh, upside down it seems like everything is turning, and even his promises don't seem to make sense. If you can push into his promise. The ones that receive the promises of God, I'm telling you, he will uncover his bow. I'm telling you, he will, he has made a covenant. He will keep his covenant. He will not lie. Like the song we sang a couple weeks ago, he's not a man that he should lie. He is a man of his word. He is one who follows through. He is trustworthy. He's not just worthy, he's trustworthy. 
So let's go to him right now, wherever you're at right now. I just want to invite you to, to lean into the promises of God. I want you to invite you to lean into a God who's trustworthy, who has a plan for your life. He picked you up with a purpose. He didn't, he didn't randomly, accidentally get you. You're not here by accident. Everything you've been through, everything he's brought you through is not by accident. It, there's a purpose to it, but you'll never experience the purpose if you, if you hold on to your own way of seeing things and doing things. The humility and the softness must come into your heart that you say, okay, I don't necessarily understand, but I'm willing to trust that God knows what he's doing. I'm willing to trust the hand that crafted me to begin with. I'm willing to trust the hand that picked me up and chose me to begin with. I'm willing to trust the hand that placed me in this bow, in this promise to begin with. And even in the middle of this pulling process, even in the middle of this, of this seeming regression, I choose to lean into and press into the promise of God. What does that look like? Well, it looks like today when you, when you leave and you remember those sins that you think maybe aren't forgiven, you immediately get back onto the bow and you say, no, 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 wait a minute. He forgives all of my sins. Every single sin that is confessed, he forgives. But I'm, I'm, I, no, that's, that, that's not me. This is me. I am forgiven. This is me. I am set free. It's, it's, it's as easy as First uh, John tells me that if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I am cleansed because he says so. This is, this is who I am. And so the, the fight in your mind to, to stay on the bow, to stay on the promise, to stay holding on to the promise. And as the pressure builds and as, and, as, and as evidence mounts and as difficulties rise, the, 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 the true sold-out follower of Christ will believe him even if he thinks he's lying to him. And so, Father, we come before you right now because of Jesus. We know that you wouldn't lie. We know that you've never lied. We know that you've never let anybody down in all of human history. You, you are faithful to the end. And so, Lord, we place our trust in you. That's what most of life is. What are you going to trust? You're going to trust a political process or are you going to trust Jesus? Are you going to trust a, a Supreme Court or are you going to trust Jesus? What are you going to trust? Where is your hope? Where is, where is your, your focal point? What are you resting on? Because you're going to be resting on something. You're going to be experiencing tension too. <laughs> but it's just not all productive. So, Lord, I want to rest on the promise of God. And the, the tension I want to feel is the tension of me leaning into what you said, even when what you said doesn't line up with what I see, that I'm going to lean into what you said. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe you because you are trustworthy. And I know this to be true. I've seen this in my own life. I've seen this in my kids. I've seen this in my marriage. I've seen this in my community. I've seen this in, in history. History preaches the faithfulness of God. We've seen your goodness. We've seen your faithfulness. So we lean into you. We pray, Lord, that you would give us faith. For those of us that are lacking faith, that you would pour out a greater measure of faith. For those of us that are lacking the ability to believe you and to stay on those promises, Lord, that you would pour out a greater measure of faith. Open up our spiritual eyes. Open up the eyes of our heart. Open up the ears of our heart that we could hear the reaffirming voice of our Father reassuring us reminds of everything that he taught us that the breath of God would be blowing inside of our own spirits, inside of our hearts, stirring up the gift that is within us. Thank you for the gift that you've placed in each and every one of us. Stir it up, Lord. Stir it up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Yeah. Yeah, that's all right. You can give the Lord a hand clap of praise.